Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Wild Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm great. So good to be here with why, you. Why are you so great? Well, this was truly one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Wow. We just you know, went, get right into it, huh? But I want to take a minute to celebrate. Oh, episode 100 yeah episode 100 of the long finish let's take a second to celebrate us 100 episodes oh, yeah i see a little mini pat on the back over there from Catherine. this is a podcast Catherine. they can't see that they can feel it they can feel it um 100 bottles of wine or wine alternative or beverage we've had a lot of drinks over here a lot people. of interviews with my in conversations with my wife a lot of discussions on our, our family, and we're excited about the next hundred, but t- we wanted to make sure that we found a guest that we thought was worthy of episode 100, would be fun for episode 100, and I know, Catherine, you've been passionate about having this guest on the show for a long time, so do you want to introduce the guest for tonight? A pre-taped interview that we did late last week, but without further ado, who is the guest for tonight? I'm so excited to introduce Bobby Stuckey tonight. Really one of the most amazing wine professionals in America today. He's a master sommelier. He's a restaurateur. And he lives in Boulder, Colorado, my hometown. He founded Frasca in Boulder 19 years ago and changed the scene. He changed dining in Boulder and Denver. Now he has multiple restaurants in Boulder, Denver, Tabernetta in Denver, Sunday Vinyl. He has Pizzeria Locale in Boulder. They're all awesome. Not only that, he has a wine label, Scarpetta, which was originally dedicated to wines of Friuli, which he loves. But now the wine is from all over Italy. And did I mention that he's a master sommelier? That's kind of impressive. And so many people, he's worked with so many people that are respected and known throughout the industry and throughout the court. I mean, even before he founded restaurants, the guy had a huge career. French Laundry, anybody? He Um, worked at French Laundry. He worked at Little Nell. That's right. We talk about his days growing up in Arizona. We talk about his passions uh, as a runner and a cyclist. We talk about the state of fine dining in America today. We talk about a lot of the things. And I mean, as you said, whenever we go back to Boulder, that's where the conversation begins and ends with restaurants. Have you been to Bobby Stuckey's restaurants? I know it's an awesome opportunity for you to connect with him over this hour. I know that you've met before. I think you talk about this in the podcast, yes? Absolutely. We talk about the first time we met where I helped him put together a lunch for Scarpetta Wines at Rustic Canyon. That was almost 10 years ago. I mean, it was years ago, but that's how we met. The man has a ton of accolades. Restaurant magazines have honored him, showered him. James Beard James Beard Award winner. James Beard nominations, yada, yada, yada. You could just go on the Frasco website and read to your heart's content. We actually have a video this week. We're dipping our toes into the video space on YouTube. We want to start taping our videotaping our podcast because we want to show the wine, the wine label, talk about it. And Catherine gives a full and thorough introduction of Bobby Stuckey on our YouTube channel. So we'll post a clip of that. Hope you go find us on YouTube or listen to us where you've been listening to us for the past 99 episodes. So we do want to quickly intro the wine that he introduced to us on the episode. Yes, this was a beautiful wine that I wasn't able to find yet in California. So he sent us some. This is the Dahlia Maris, the Piccolo Bianco, Friuli Colli Orientali from Italy, 2021. 
delicious. It was a delight to learn about that from him. We drank this on a Friday afternoon. I was very, very happy to open up some beautiful wine and drink it before I went back to see my kids. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a great time. And this represents episode 100 for us, as we've said. It is a culmination of a lot of things. It's the start of new things. Like I said, we want to add video to our next 100 episodes. Hopefully get into a habit of showing you the wines on our YouTube channels and wherever else we can post them, talk about them, show the labels, et cetera, et cetera. So stay tuned for that. Shall we get into the episode, Catherine? Let's do it. Let's Let's talk to Bobby. Episode 100 of The Long Finish with our guest, Bobby Stuckey. Sure, Bobby, how are you? welcome. After all I am great. I am really (laughs) great. It's uh, Friday. Uh, I think we're finally getting springtime here in Colorado, which we've We've had a long winter, which is great for the water table, but it's beautiful right now. Super excited. I'm down in Denver, uh, right above Sunday Vinyl, right next to Tavernetta. Yeah. You know, the weather's been crazy on for, for a lot of the country, including where we are. I mean, we, we're finally seeing some signs of life in Southern California, which is where I, you know, I knew you were here yesterday. It's been raining so much, we forget where we were. Finally getting some sun back in our life, so we're pretty excited to drink some of the wine that you've you know brought to us today. Um, obviously we have a lot to talk about, Catherine, I'll let you steer most of this conversation, but Bobby, as you may know, on this podcast, we open a a bottle of wine every episode and talk about it. You chose the wine for this episode. So we'll talk a little bit more at length about the episode, but can you let the audience, the viewers, listeners know the wine we're drinking today and a little bit about why you chose it? Sure. You know, so, I mean, I live in the Friuli aesthetic at Frosca which is kind of weird that we opened a restaurant 19 years ago about a region that no one had ever been to. (laughs) And, um, you know, this is really, I'm really excited about this wine for a myriad of reasons. A, the winemaker, Giampaolo Venica. Many people know of the Venica Venica fame. I first met Giampaolo when he had an incredible man tail in 1997. (laughs) He was uh, working harvest for Jim Clendenin at Bon Clement. And we've been friends ever since. Wow. Uh, big shout out to my boy, Jean Paulo. But he and I spend a lot of time together when I'm in Friuli. And we have discussed this style of wine for a long time. This is his own project. The Dalia Morris is really m- realizing that Friulano and the other indigenous grapes, but really Friulano is a more viscous style wine. And this is after Jean Paulo working a couple of harvests at um, with Jean-Louis Chave, really making a wine that is old vine material, but really textural. This is for a lot of push to its limit of a, a, uh, extract. And he and I have been talking about this idea for over a decade. And when he blind tasted me two years ago on a barrel sample of this, I go, dude, this is what we've been talking about. And it's really, and it, we're starting to see some other producers in Friuli really say, hey, Friolano is a, me- a high pH varietal, lower acid varietal. What happens if we let it go to that? How exciting it can be. So it's like this week I've tasted a couple other producers that are trying to sniff around in this style. And I just love what he's done with this. That's so cool that he went to Shav to kind of learn that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And he has old Shav barrels in this. Cool. It's really, yeah, it's, he and I've been, it's just, when, when he first tasted me on the barrel sample, we were, he blinded me and Danette, my wife on it. 
we were eating dinner or we were eating lunch in uh, up in the Cornac uh, Alps above Friuli in a, at a restaurant called Lite. He's like, I got a blind taste you on something. And I, I, I go, man, this is like some of the greatest full extraction Friulano. John Paulo, this is kind of like what we, I think I don't want to banker the wine, but I think this is what we've been talking about. And then to see him go, dude, this is what we've been talking about. It was his, it was really in my wine career, one of the most fun moments to see a friend have a vision a decade ago and then come to fruition with it. So usually in the episode, Bobby, we, we talk a little bit about the background of the wine, which you've just done. So you helped us out a lot. And, and, you know, we're a, a podcast that really tries to bring, you know, wine to the people. We, we, we want to make sure that we're talking about wine in a way that uh, excites people and not pushes people away from, from wine. So I always ask two questions. Great food pairings for this wine. Do you have any thoughts about what would pair well, either at a restaurant or at home? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of the opposites of what people think. We're about to go into summertime. You know, we have a lot of acid in food during the summer, right? Tomatoes have a lot of acidity. So something like this that doesn't need acid in the wine, this like plays with that really, really well. There's a lot of great texture with it. Um, it can play with what white Rome could do. It can play with what white Burgundy can do. A roast chicken, fantastic. I mean, there's a lot... Um, you know, I think about, you know, California's uh, state bird should be the Zuni chicken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. That's okay. so excellent. Yeah. Right. I think anybody who's sat in that restaurant in San Francisco and had that roast chicken, I think they would play really well with that. Yes. Do you, do you want to do you want to chime in or you just want to? No, well, I, I agree. You're here, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. The second question I like to ask is, um, are there ways... Or what are the ways for our listeners and viewers to procure this wine? Is there, do you have to go to a restaurant? Can you do it in wine shops? How or do, we get do this they wine? just email you and then your assistant FedExes it <laughs> yeah. to them? Well, <laughs> don't tell Alicia that. We'll get in a lot of trouble. She's got no, that's never happened. Right yeah. no, 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 no. Never. She's so awesome. She is. Um, she's awesome. Um, so I think it is brought in to most of the United States through Grand Cru. There's a couple markets that maybe Venica and, and John Paulo aren't with Grand Cru. I know here in Colorado and maybe Arizona, it is with um, Juliana Imports. That's Steve Lewis. I don't know about California. I apologize. But either Grand Cru or Juliana are the two people who kind of divvy up. I think Steve at Juliana has it in a few states. I know he has it for Arizona. Well, I'll look into that with him because Grand Crew didn't have it or didn't have it yet. So um, we're going to keep working we on that. We will find it. We'll put it in the show notes exactly. for everyone to track it down. And this, because this wine is delicious. It's so good. It is so perfect for spring and summer. All those things you're talking about. I'm really hungry. It's almost like Bobby knows what he's talking about. Like I'm just a pedestrian wine person. Catherine is an expert. You're an expert. I'm. I represent the 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 vox populi. The the, the you know I'm the voice of the the random person. I want to know a little bit about your journey uh, into wine. I think, you know, I know that you came from Arizona. Um, yep. Is that correct? It um, is. I would love to hear about your journey into wine. And I know that and I, I say this as a person who's athletic. I know you're into uh, to running and cycling. Was athletics a part of your life and when it, and it transitioned into the, the wine world? So I'm really just interested in your early days and how you yeah. came upon finding wine. 
So um, I come from, uh, well, I have some very amazing, I have a very amazing small family. I'm me, my brother, my mom and dad, and uh, all of them have influenced my life immensely. Um, my, I was, I'm in my mid fifties. So when I was growing up, especially in Arizona, we had not fully diagnosed AD, ADD and dyslexia. And uh, I was a very, uh, uh, how do I say this? Uh, I, I, academia was not, I wanted to be great. It wasn't that I wasn't motivated. I really struggled at academics and I, I really, it was tough. I remember crying in third grade when you were supposed to write your parents' profession down on the chalkboard and I couldn't write insurance. My dad, and I was so proud of my dad, my 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 pencil had stucky insurance on it. My pen had stucky insurance on it. And my notebook had stucky insurance on it. my third grade teachers. Like, what's wrong with you? You can't write something that is like all over you. Um, like you weren't even a fan of the Cardinals or the Phoenix Suns. Like you, you were a fan of your dad's insurance company. That's like you, you had a t-shirt on. Yeah. Stucky well, we insurance. didn't get the Cardinals. <laughs> in my childhood, we didn't get the That's Cardinals. That's right. They, were, the they were in St. Louis maybe or something. I don't I can't yeah. remember where they were. But I was a very big Suns fan. So listen, I know they're, they're here to play the Denver Nuggets. Oh. Go Suns. I've already talked to my brother and dad. If they go to the finals, we're all going. Love um, it. Um, but uh, going back, so in going into high school out of eighth grade, um, I started bussing tables, 1983. So this August will be 40 years of bussing tables. I was bussing tables last night, so I must be a slow learner. <laughs> but it was the really the first thing uh, my parents got me into uh, running and they also got me into um, the restaurants. And I think, uh, how do you say this? I found my people in restaurants. I remember going through high school and all the people I worked with were like in college, but I was able to be a good bus person. I felt uh, uh, val validation because I was good at it. And when you get positive reinforcement, you keep going. Now it's not that I gave up on academics. No, I I, I went to college at uh, and I loved my college experience in Flagstaff at NAU, Northern Arizona University. Go Jacks, the <laughs> uh, Lumberjacks. But like I really had the restaurant industry gave me a sense of purpose from from being a teenager. It's going to be my whole life, and I feel so lucky that I found it. So that was my early days. I was a dyslexic punk rock kid. Um, I remember uh, a, a woman chef I worked for, Chris Robertson, telling me that uh, I was not allowed to have blue hair anymore. I showed up for work with like electric blue hair. Remember, this is in Phoenix in the 80s. <laughs> this is not now where people are allowed to express themselves. And she really, I thought, gently told me, could you please show up Saturday with normal hair color? I said, of course, as the pastry chef walked behind her, who had this beautiful mane, she was Irish, like totally fire engine red hair, walked behind her. I said, yes, I can do that. And I used to go to a, a beauty school and pay five bucks to get my hair dyed. And I came Saturday morning with fire engine red hair. <laughs> and she was like, Bobby, I thought we had this conversation about normal hair color. I go, it is totally normal. I did exactly what you said, Krissa. 
uh, I did that. Maybe I missed the interpretation or yeah. whatever, but it was great. But the great part about Krista was there was another bus person that was punk rock named Stuart. And she would try to wrangle us little teenagers. So she just started yelling, Stu Bob, all the time. And both of us would run. I mean, we must have been the most insane little bus people. And she was like, dude, I just needed to get you guys to show up at the pass to run some food. So I just yelled, Stu Bob, and you both would show up. Look, you have some so great restaurant names. Favorite. You have some great restaurant names in your group. But I think if you do another one, yeah. Stu Bob That's it. is the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would be remiss. I ask all of our guests sort of what their relationship was to wine and beverage um, at their family's dinner table. Do you do you have memories of your parents drinking wine? No, or, totally. And- I, someone, I went on a bike ride with some employees this morning. It was really great to wake up early and go on a bike ride with a, a couple employees, a couple people from the back of the house and a couple people from the front of the house. And someone asked me that. And I said, you know, my mom was a caterer, so she was into the culinary arts and there was wine around the house and my, I guess I was like in fourth or fifth grade or sixth grade. And I told my mom that I was going to write books about uh, uh red wine, like after having some. And she's like, okay, slow down, buddy. Like we can't even get you to do a freaking book report. For <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's focus on the, let's, let's do the small goals. Let's get that book report done before you're writing books. Let's do the book report first. I'm like, oh, okay, mom. She said, no, just focus on that book report. And we'll talk about you writing later. So yes, there was wine around the house. And 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 also I think wine was important because I loved watching pre-service. And I would love watching staff training even before, even when I was a teenager. And I soon realized this was in the world before similes that to be great at the craft of hospitality or, or just front of the house service, whatever you want to call it, uh, Wine can be really impactful to the guests if you do it the right way. And to do it the right way is you need to under listen to the guests, but understand what you have, what understand what's on your wine list, understand what's by the glass. So very early on, I was like, ooh, I want to pay attention to that. That's so cool. And I think, you know, I, I had to, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I also worked as a busser um, at Red Lobster in Fredericksburg, Virginia, when I was growing up. So, you know, we, we started the same path. We started the same way. Yeah. We just kind of went different, yeah. different ways. But um, w- when do you remember, like, the journey into wine beginning? Obviously, though, there's a love of restaurants early on, but was there someone um, that impacted you or inspired you to, to head in that direction? Or, yes. or an event? 100%. Yeah. I was very nurtured in the right way through education. And I think anyone listening to this, if you're a restaurant manager – if you're a captain, if you're a, a wine director, a sommelier, even an assistant some, remember, you don't know who's in your orbit that you can really positively affect. So be really inclusive to every little person around you. And I worked, I, w- I went to school in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was a waiter. I was racing bicycles. Um, and I worked at this restaurant called Bricks. And there was a uh, the wine director was a guy named Robert Fusco. And in, in the early 90s, like 1990, 91, 92, this restaurant had a very, uh, 93, very progressive wine program for Flagstaff. And we'd have wine classes on Wednesdays. And there was like four or five waiters that showed up every Wednesday. And then this is before email or websites. You had um, the uh, 
a brochure was sitting on the desk in the back office for the quartermaster sommeliers. And I just was nosy and picked it up. And I said, what the hell is this? And they're like, oh, it's this course. And back then they only did it a couple times a year. And so I saw for the next year, the intro course was in San Francisco. And I go, can I have this? And he's like, yeah, I'm not planning on going. That's what the wine director said. And myself and three of the waiters, three other waiters all signed up and we all stayed in the same hotel room in San Francisco. And uh, yeah. I mean, you talked about how, you know, the early days of school were tough, but that's a lot of studying in the quartermasters, you know, it's a great point. something turned around there. Maybe you just triggered it. Maybe you was trying to find the thing that you're like, so synced into or something like that. Well, no, it's always hard for me. I just, when you can do it on your own pace, like I think academia in the public school system in America, especially 40 some years ago was if you were, I think it was really good for people in the middle. If you were like really brilliant, like my brother, you might get a little bored. Or if you were on the other part of the bell curve, like myself, you were always struggling to catch up. I always think I needed an extra couple of weeks of each semester to get through the reading and whatever. And so I just early on set up my own methodical program. So it was still hard for me, but it was attainable. Something that I think is interesting from both of you, but you talk about inclusion when it brings when you want to get people introduced into wine. That's something that you experience as well. You you do that as a person who's a wine director, but I mean you were a server at Rustic Canyon for a long time. So you had to show your passion as a server and sort of you, you, your excitement, and then you end up taking over the program. So, absolutely. I think that, you know, my path, our paths have crossed so many times over the last eight years. I mean, I can remember you emailing me, Bobby, and saying, Hey, could we put this lunch together at Rustic Canyon for Scarpetta Wines? And we, I don't think we'd met. And I said, Yes, I haven't met this person and let's do it you know that those yes and moments are really what start so many things later in life um or just different journeys that you have we had a great lunch that day um actually i saw chef fox this morning and i told him i was going to be talking to you and he said oh yes the white asparagus and he remembered a few of the other dishes too he said yeah to we, say had a re- we did a risotto course yes we did a seafood risotto course that lachlan rocks out on tour is good. It was yeah, great. It was a great time. It was so talk fun. about a great team at Rustic Canyon too. Like the whole team that we worked with was great and love that restaurant. It's awesome. Tell tell Chef Fox hello. I will. I I think I think of that moment and I think of other times to just say yes to people like as much as you can. Um it always pays it always pays. Um and yeah, here we are sitting here today. But there's so many people who've worked with you over the years, you know, even on your Instagram, like people that were coming in last night that you said had been on your team. Nate at, from Hayu, I saw last weekend here at Astor's. He was pouring at a tasting we were doing. Um, so many people list you on their I was there or even they worked at Frasca or they were staging at Frasca. What is it that you're doing? That how are you connecting to people that they want to keep coming back for more or stay there? Well, I think part of it is luck. I mean, I look at I look at Nate Reddy. Nate Reddy went to uh, Pepperdine, but he was from Napa. Uh, this is pre uh, uh, when Nate had grooming standards. Um, <laughs> right, right. And, he's in the wild and, now. Um, 
And for those of you who haven't seen a photo of recent Nate, you'll get it. But um, Nate was, uh, he's lucky, or I was lucky to have Nate come into my orbit. He was worked at a wine shop in Malibu, went to Pepperdine, went home to Napa, was at a North Berkeley tasting, remember it distinctively. Uh, I was tasting some Vacheron Sancerre. And he came up to me and goes, hey, uh, my name's Nate. I want to work for you at the French Laundry. I was the new wine director there. And uh, he, I said, great. Well, I don't do the hiring. Actually, Laura Cunningham does, my boss. Let me introduce you. And the rest was really history to have him in my orbit. So that was really lucky. And he was part of the opening Frosca team and just such a piece of the fabric. Um, and I think the other thing, so you've got part luck, then part is you really have to, uh, Sam Reithmeyer was in last night, uh, who used to be a Republic as the wine director. Right. Yeah. He, he, he was working the floor with us last night and we had an anchor steam at the end of the night and kind of talked about it. And he's like, what he was asking, like, what made you like see something in me? And I said, well, Sam, you're just so enthusiastic and you were into it and blah, blah, blah. And like you just have to be open to all your employees and try to be there and um and hopefully some connectivity happens. And we're we're really lucky. We've had so many Grant Reynolds, Dustin Wilson. I mean, it is like wild the yeah, fun. It's the who's who. I mean, and the list is long and it's impressive. Audrey, who writes for Jeb Dunnick, she was part of our program. I mean, and the team that's there now. Look, Jeremy's been there, I think 16 years. Carlin's car has been there 11 years. Clara downstairs, probably close to five at least, at least. So I, I really lucky on that end. I mean, I really think I'm getting to the pinnacle of my career when I can say I'm Carlin Carr's assistant. That's going to be when everyone knows me as Carlin Carr's assistant, I know I've made it. Well, you bring up, uh, uh, both of you bring up an interesting point, which is, so a little bit of a divergent path, but you know, you someone came up to you and said, "I want to work with you." In, in today's environment in restaurants and wine, people want to get involved. What what is your recommendation to people on how they get, want to get involved? Obviously, you're a busy man. I mean, you, you, and, and so are you. You both run multiple things. If someone says, "I want to work with you," what what are the best? What's some advice for people who are just now getting into the restaurant business, into the wine business, and how they can sort of build up their name, reputation, work with you? work with you what what are your what are your pieces of advice for them you want me to go sure well uh, i don't want to i want Catherine to, to chime in here too but i think what i'm about to say might not not everyone might not like this but um there are no prodigies you can only be a prodigy in mathematics chess art or music now those four disciplines you can also get there through hard work, but those are the only ones that you can like not like mother nature will allow for prodigies, the restaurant business and the wine industry. There are no prodigies. So let's just as a group, quit trying to fast track it. And I think the best way, if you want to be into wine is to, and if you want to do it through a restaurant route versus a wine shop route, Get to a place that you like, that feels good, and learn everything from back waiting to expediting to front waiting. And while you're doing that, that's a good time to spend 
do read one hour a day. Take Sundays off or whatever day you want off. Take one day off, but just read one hour a day. Don't try to study four hours a day. Read one hour a day, and it will be a big snowball that gets bigger and bigger and bigger if you do that. And just enjoy the path of hospitality. I mean, I'm going to totally rip off Alice Waters from Chez Panisse. I saw her talk about 25 years ago, and she said it takes seven years to be a great waiter. If she's exaggerating by even a year or two, and I don't think she is, think about how powerful that is, that it takes five years to be a great waiter. And we're in an industry now where everyone wants to trampoline, like hit the trampoline and go up. And trampolines don't really work in our industry. Like there is no prodigy. So let's let's just all take a deep breath, enjoy the journey. Think about the bright side. Our life expectancy is a lot longer than it used to be. <laughs> we're going to be working into our 70s. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. I couldn't agree more. And I think finding a place where you really like to come to work every day is a big deal. Make sure it's the right fit for you. It's a restaurant where you are excited to sell the food, where you're excited to see the people who walk through that door, where you're not like waiting for the next thing, where you feel really at home with those people because it isn't about the title. And that's the big thing for me. Like people just want the next title. That doesn't matter. And sometimes it makes it worse because people expect a certain something from you when you have the title. So just follow the true passion. I love what you said about reading, you know, an hour a day. For me, the early days were like, what am I excited about today? Sancerre. Let's open that chapter. Let's get a bottle. Let's look at pictures on the internet of this place and immerse myself with it. And that is the beauty of wine. You don't go A to Z because <laughs> there is no A to Z. Just go in the middle and keep going. I've, yeah. I'm constantly like learning things I don't know, which is why I want to be in this industry. And the f- people that I admire and want to hire are the first to admit what they don't know and are excited to learn about it from somebody else and want it, are passionate and want to listen. I think that's the way. Yeah. So great. I mean, I love our industry. I know it gets knocked around a lot in the last couple of years for varied reasons, but look, it's such a beautiful industry. It's the one industry that you can be new to the country and not speak the language. And we're going to bear hug you. Uh, God, you might've made a mistake and we're incarcerated you can't go work for the wine distributor that delivers the wine to you if you are, have a felon, but we'll, or we'll give you a big bear hug. You could be in an industry that has an economic downturn. We're there for you. You know, it's like we're such a beautiful industry. Yeah, we have some wonky hours that kind of can be difficult, but there's so much positivity. And you don't have to have a college degree and you don't have to have a certification. Well, no. serve safe, uh, which is, I don't know seven hours of your life passing a test or HR test, but anybody can do that. You know, it's just about the willingness to show up on time. It's a big one and show up. That's another big one with your whole person and be present. I know you yeah. talk a lo- about that a lot. Actually, I watched a really awesome Ted talk that you did a number of years ago for Ted talk Boulder or something and talked about being present and that that is what keeps you sane? Is that still true? Like on the floor and and why you go back to it again and again? I mean, well, listen, you have to look, our world is just so, and it's crazier than when I gave that talk, but like you have to be present or you're going to miss so much beauty 
so much great stuff and you're going to miss so much. And you just have to say, okay, this is, you know, and look for ADD guy, it's even harder to be present. And I work really hard at it. And I'd like when you are present, what, it, how it can really positively affect things. And you're 100% right. And we do have a great industry. And I love that you said, because I, I mentioned that a lot, you don't need a college degree. I'm not, I'm very pro education, but look, when we talk about the extra, uh, the, the very expensive cost of the university, you know what? Here's a career. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Morgan Harris, the Samet Cezanne. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. He said something great. I, 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 he was at a lunch I did for Scarpetta earlier this year. And he said, you know, you could go to say, and I could be wrong. I don't, I don't want, I want to, I'm not quoting him perfectly because it was a brief conversation because you can start there. And if you're ambitious and show up on time and do this, blah, 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 you can have a $90,000 a year job in one year. Like you, like we're with no college education. Like I hope everyone realizes that's a, that's a big deal. Now you've got to be present. You got to be ambitious. You got to do that. But that's a lot to, you know, you hear both sides of the aisle. You hear AOC say it, and you hear someone else on the other side say it, that they want to have this profession like we used to have in the 50s where someone can have a working class reach up. It's here right in both of both sides of the aisle's face, our industry. That's so true. And, and, and we, as people who can hire people, can keep that alive by being inclusive and not requiring certain things. You know, you want to move up in the wine industry, start as a start as a server, start as a busboy, start as a back waiter and just learn and work your way up. You don't need credentials to start. And we can be inclusive of everyone by doing that. I feel I really try to practice that at Esther's. You don't need anything to start except some attention and showing up yeah you know i and i i can say i look i did i go through the accreditation of the master sommelier diploma yes i really like how hard that new board the new board is working so hard on inclusivity i just read their whole new statement I, and i don't have time right now to give to the board but i, I do want to say that new board's trying really hard but i also want to say I have never worn my MS pin on the dining room floor in two decades since I got it because my accreditation does not matter to my guests or my employees if my guests and my employees aren't seen and felt seen and heard. So my, my accreditation should only be for me and maybe for my wife because my wife... Um, let me out of so much yard work to do it. <laughs> right on, Jeanette. <laughs> yeah. And so like really, and I hope everyone takes the accreditations as if you want to do whatever MW, W set, do that for yourself. Don't worry about passing it as fast as possible. There is no, you don't have to have it time stamped. Just do it as your own journey. It'll make you a richer person if you like that, but don't worry that you have to get it done. I, I see so many people get disappointed. They don't pass the exam when they want to, and then they got to wait another year. Don't worry about it. It's not, you don't, 
it's your it should only be for yourself, not anyone. Yeah, because else. you're still going to bust tables, right? You know. Yes. Gonna... <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I've now it's been almost two decades, and it's been over 19 years. And man, I've now had to think of so many different excuses to get out of stuff around the house. I should have taken an extra two decades to get through that MS because it's, <laughs> it's milk it, baby. Yeah. Now, now, both of you bring up a point that I think is interesting, and it's interesting beyond just the wine space. And I want to talk about it for a second, which is the idea of mental health and uh, presence. And so I want to talk to, I obviously know a little insight into what you do, but Bobby, I'd love to hear some of the things you do to work on that, maybe preach to your, your team as well. I mean, I know you're very active with running, cycling, does activity, physical uh, exertion, uh, does that serve a purpose for you? Just kind of curious about how people can be, work towards being more, this is just beyond wine and restaurant space. It's like, how do we become more uh, mentally healthy? present and so i'm just curious to know what your what your what your things that you do i have a lot of thoughts on this and i i i'm not an expert so i don't want to get in trouble but i, I really this is for you speak for only for yourself right so i i love the podcast audi cornish uh put out and uh we have to be very careful right now first of all we need to yes be more open about mental health if you're struggling what you're doing and all these things 100% we need to be more open, but we can't abuse it. In this sense, I'm hearing a lot more uptick of these um, uh, therapy, like meaning that you would use with a therapist or psychiatrist, buzzwords at work, triggering uh, clinical depression. I, I hear so many people say they have dys dyslexia and they they don't. They they like throwing these words around. Let's not do that because I want to be really respectful for the person who is diagnosed struggling and they are trying to get up every day and go to work or go to school or, or be present for their loved one. That's really intense. And if, if we think you might have that, go let's let's put it put it on your Google calendar. Go see someone who can help you, but don't throw that term around if you're, it's really serious. And I want to be very open. I want anyone to be able to talk about those things. If I'm going to go see a therapist, it's going to be on my Google calendar and my whole team can see Bobby's in therapy today. Hmm. That's okay. I want to do that, but I'm not going to throw terms around because Sometimes you're not clinically depressed. Sometimes you're just sad and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to be tired, right? And those things. And I think we also, the next thing we have to do is really, really realize don't self-inflict struggles on yourself. What do I mean by that? Take a deep breath. And I, I'm very guilty of this. I did it yesterday. I was overscheduled. I mean, I started the morning at 7 a.m. being mic'd up to give a speech about hospitality in Los Angeles and finished service. I was at service in Boulder. Like, that's probably not a great example. Danette walked me through that at midnight last night. It was a very, um, <laughs> it, was, it was a very good coaching moment from my wife to, to me. But, but in all honesty, don't self-inflict things. Maybe, and 
I might be too much of a prude, but maybe not go out and get drunk every night after work. That's not where staff should go to figure out how tough the night was. That's not productive. It's not. Spend time without electric electronics, meaning get off your, I love Instagram, but get off it. Get off the television. Take some moment, a couple hours a day with nothing. Uh, you, you mentioned, yes, I try to go running or cycling every day. I do not run with headphones. I, I, mean, I read this. I read hours. this. I found that very interesting. I love it. I, read I love that. it. Yeah. I might do a three-hour run by myself. Man, that's a lot of quality time with Bobby um, out there. <laughs> What's know? going on through your head, though, for three hours? I mean, are you are you answering problems? I mean, how does your – because you've been running for a long time. Does your Are you able to find that you block thoughts out? Or are you sort of like, I've I'm, I'm, got to call Bob back? Or, what, you know, what is your what is your thought process like as you're running for three hours by yourself? I think about – I try to think about positive things, and if negative things come in – I have kind of my de facto things to think about that are positive that make me feel good. That, that makes um, sense. You know, I but I do. I think, and you can like do a like. I mean, I don't have a title on my business card, um, but I think if you looked at an org chart for our company, maybe you would. I'd be like fall under the CEO piece. We have about two hundred and fifty employees. Um. So I do do a lot of working, the positive things of work I think about. I kind of think through what my staff could be going through, how I can be better, how I can be more present, all those things. And then I get done with that and it's all good. I love running. I uh, haven't done it in seven years, <laughs> but I used to be an avid runner. Well, I love the idea of running. Uh, no, I did. And I did train for the LA Marathon and I did it in 2013. So I've crossed that off the list. Um, but I never, awesome. <laughs> yay me. It really prepared me for childbirth, but <laughs> I will say, and we have three kids. Um, I never ran with headphones and I did love that because thoughts come up, but there's also a lot of non thoughts. There's a lot of space and that's what I always wanted with the running. There was just space in there. Well, I have a technical question for you, Tug. Yes. How, how tall are you? Six, five. Dude. I'm like looking on the screen. I was like trying to go. What is this guy? Giants? Because I know Catherine's pretty tall. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on over How here? How does this guy fit in this box? <laughs> He's huge. No, I drink. I always, I didn't drink coffee and I always, you know, drank my milk and I, you know, there I am. Um, you have so many things in common, you two. And I want to quickly make sure I mention this. Obviously, Boulder. So I'd love to hear about, you know, how your journey um, led yourself to Boulder. Yes. How did you choose that? Um, so. I was working for Thomas Keller and Laura Cunningham. And I could have either spent the rest of my life working for the two of them, been okay. It would have been awesome. That is a great company to work for. Thomas Keller was awesome. Uh, something happened when we were in Napa. I was, Danette and I were newly Sorry. married and her mom passed away and her dad and the rest of the family were living in Golden. And my job at French Laundry was going to change. I was going to be put in charge of like per se. They were going to do Bouchon Vegas, all that. And um, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to have my own restaurant. Maybe this is the time. And we'd never lived in Boulder. I knew Boulder as an ex cycle uh, as a cyclist, very much so, and as a runner. Um, and we, Lachlan and I, on our days off from the laundry, would 
fly out and stay with Dick Alberico, my father-in-law, and we would look around and try to, and maybe at that moment, Denver wasn't right for us. And that's how we chose Boulder. It was so non-scientific. Um, it was all about balance in life. And it's been great. Um, I can be a really good son-in-law because Dick Alberico, who I renamed Pizzeria Locale after, it's now called Pizzeria Alberico. Hmm. Um, uh, he still has to call before he comes over. Like Boulder to Golden is the right amount of time. Um, I always love when he calls and he's like, oh, I'm like 15 minutes late to come to the pizzeria. I'm like, no, you're not. You're supposed to be here in 15 minutes. You're sitting in Golden, dude. You're an hour away. <laughs> if you get in your car right now, let's get it going on. But that's okay. He He's from Abruzzo, Italy. His family is, and that's where my wife's family is. my wife's lineage. So I understand why she's never been on time ever in 23 years of marriage. She gets it right from her dad. Is that why is that why Italy is such a passion for you in the wine world or is it for other reasons? Um 100% enormous piece was um the dinette factor 100%. You know, I really grew up in a French background, you know, I was like French laundry, I was at the Little Nell, huge burgundy house, but I did fall in love with the the wines of Italy first and then happened to fall in love with the I say the Italian American version of Snow White, um, Danette. And then like, that's how it all began. And then Lachlan and I fell in love with Friuli and holy moly, we were nuts. Um, you know, now Friuli, like I can drive around Friuli better than I can drive around Denver. And I have two restaurants in Denver. That's awesome. Um, a couple other questions I want to ask. Well, I just want to oh, say, yeah, I am so happy you moved to Boulder. As someone who grew up there, who went to Boulder High School in the 90s, we ate at such restaurants as Pizza Hut. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a restaurant called Trios or Trios. Yeah. John's was another fancy, yeah. fancier place. Those were places for graduations. Mostly it was like the the chilies and the Olive Garden and this and such for me growing up there. So you have changed. I believe uh, Frasca really changed the scene and you have changed the scene for wine professionals there because there are so many master sounds in Boulder now and so many cool wine shops and wine focused restaurants and professionals. It's really a wonderful place to come visit my family and know that I can get good wine at a number of places. I, I didn't grow up with wine on the table. There was a beer every now and then on a Sunday. Um, but it's nice to come home to now. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That leads into my question, actually, which is, you know, you've experienced Boulder for a number of years and really just in general in your career. Can you, there's such a, there's, there's so much change in the way think, people think about wine, not only professionals, but everyday drinkers are thinking about wine probably more closely than they ever have. From your 30,000 foot view, how are you seeing the evolution of wine and wine palettes change? Maybe for Boulder, but just in general over the years. I, I think this should be the golden age. I listen to a lot of people talk about younger people not drinking in a, 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 as much. Who cares? We're still way farther ahead than we were when I started in the industry 40 years ago. Because in the industry 40 years ago, we barely had one generation drinking. Now we have multiple generations. We can have four generations of wine drinkers going on right now in a restaurant downstairs. So 
I think it should be really positive. What I do want wine professionals to realize is that when you're writing a wine list and you're talking to the guests, it's not about you. You got to listen to your guests, meet them where they are, have them be seen. It's not about you, whatever flag you're into at the moment. It's really into what the guest is about, because that's how you build those awesome relationships. I agree. I mean, it's the connection. It's what is this person going to say to me and how am I going to deliver it? To me, that is the most fun puzzle with friends, with people coming into the restaurant. I don't care what I'm into. If they say, what what are you into? It's like, what did I have last night? That's what I'm into. What are you into? Tell me everything about it. Let me see if I can surprise you. That's my special skill. That's awesome. And that note, um, we talk a lot about, I saw on your Instagram, you have a great Instagram. We'll put your Instagram in the show notes. Everyone should follow Bobby. You talked about earlier in the year of review of La Bernadette in New York, and you talk about sort of the, you know. How beautiful was that? What's that? How beautiful was that? Oh, it's that? great. It's fantastic. A place that Catherine and I have both enjoyed. Uh, there's, there is also discussion about the state of fine dining in America. Um, often you talk about generationally people drinking less or maybe not going out as much. Do you have thoughts on the state of, of just in dining in general, people, how people consume food in restaurants and what, you know, what space fine dining has? Yes. Um, Look, it's been the low-hanging fruit for food journalists since I can remember. I remember when Spago put like smoked salmon on a pizza and they said it was the end of fine dining. I don't know if anyone's tried to get into the French Laundry lately, but I haven't worked there in almost 20 years and I get three reservation requests a week from people trying to get in. So I think fine dining's good. I think we love the buzzword to think it's the decay of fine dining. I think what's great is we have this explosion of great casual things, which is fantastic. But I also think as diners mature, as they need to get a babysitter to go out at night, as they have different experiences in their life, they will find that niche for fine dining and it will be there. It's just maybe not the only thing they see on their on their feed. Fine dining is really hard to do. It's a craft. It really takes a lot of work. We need to quit trying to compare a fine dining restaurant to a casual restaurant. Let them both do their own thing I work in all those spaces, so I can honestly say they're just different expressions. Let them be. But I don't think fine dining is the only thing that's hard for fine dining right now is staffing. That's it. But look, fine dining is really, it is healthy. There's more fine. There's Look how many great fine dining restaurants there are. They might just look differently than they used to in any major city and even cities in the flyover states have them. So I really, I really think it's there, but we really love journalists, love sit. I wish food and wine journalists would kind of look at journalists, journalism over the last 40 years, and realize they're just regurgitating some buzzwords that have been coming up 
since Wolfgang Puck put smoked salmon on a pizza. <laughs> maybe I like what you said, though, that maybe our definition of fine dining and what it looks like in different cities needs to be slightly relaxed. Let's just define it. We People have different definitions of what exactly that is. I like that. Yeah. One. But you might have a moment in your life where you're just loving going into casual, loud spots. But then maybe when you're my age, you might like that, but you also might want a night where it's not, you know, hip hop on 11. You might want to, you know, Danette and I might want to talk about something that's, you know, and and be taken care of and and be able to have great hospitality professionals take care of you and and do that. Well, well, in, in that spirit, you talked all about being a punk rock kid. I saw a picture mm -hmm. on your Instagram of The Clash. Yeah. You have, you have wow. a restaurant called Sunday Vinyl. I'm a music person. I love music. I see a lot of live shows every year. Well, I mean, I'm very interested as if to, to hear what your thoughts are on what you're listening to. I mean, what, tell, me, tell me more about the, how music plays a part in your life. Um, music is so important in my life. I'm not a huge, even though my brother's in film and uh, he's a screenwriter and big shout out to Scoob. Love him so much, and I love his craft. He's much tougher than I am. But um, I really love just zoning out and really listening to music straight through an album. I'm not a – I mean, I might put together a music list for myself, but I don't download a song. I want the whole experience, and I'm an omnivore. It could be Ayalu Mesfen, which is Ethiopian funk from the – uh, 70s, 80s, or I might be like, I'm going to see what I was listening to on the plane coming back last night. Let me just see. So what did I listen to last night? Um, it looks like I was listening to Richard Hell and the Voivods, uh, early 70s punk. Amazing. So yeah, that was cool. Wide breath. I love <laughs> I it. And then I was listening to... Um, uh, Iggy Pop Raw Power and uh, finished it up with uh, um, finished it up with uh, something more mellow when I was listening to Nina Simone. So that was my two hour flight back. Are we going to hear punk at Sunday Vinyl? Is that if we go, is that what you're going to hear sometimes? Is, is it all sometimes, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we listen to it all. I love it. I love it. Well, now we get to the last portion of the evening, which is uh, what has been inspiring us this week. I asked Bobby ahead of time to think about this. Catherine, uh, do you want to go first? Oh, sure. I've been holding this one in all week. This is a great joy to me. If you haven't yet, Stanley Tucci's memoir, Taste, is so good. It's so good. But I recommend, highly recommend the audio version where he reads it himself. My dear friend Moore recommended it to me. He is a joy in all his movies and all, whatever he does. But I love this um, reading of the memoir. There are some very passionate expletives. So don't listen to it with kids in the car. But highly recommend his journey through food, through his life. It is a joy. Now, for me. Such a good book. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to it. For me, I was in Chicago last week. Bobby doesn't know this, but I also uh, work as an actor and writer in Hollywood, and I was on a show many years ago called The Office, where I played uh, John Krasinski's brother, one of his two brothers on the show, Jim Halpert, and there's a convention 
for uh, the uh, fans of The Office, and it was in Chicago. They've just kind of started these things, and I haven't spent a lot of time in Chicago, but I went, and I went out, and I love that city. That city is awesome. Chicago is fantastic. You talk about music, the birth of so many great things happening musically over the years. Uh, it's a chance to meet some of these Office fans. I said this before on our podcast, but a lot of, I'm, I'm not a big part of the show. I've been a, a few episodes, but people come up to you and tell you how much that show meant to them. And they were in a bad situation in their life, or they're going through divorce, or they need something comforting in their life. They openly tell you this. And it's very humbling to be a, even a small part of that show to hear people like, I use you know, this show for comfort. And I, I will say that to the end of the day, you know, end, end of my life, being like, well, that, that was a cool moment for me just to say, I made you smile or laugh for um, you know, two minutes on a trying day. So I know I'm a small part of that show. I'm good friends with a lot of the main players in that show. They must feel amazing. So shout out to all the fans of The Office and shout out to Chicago. It was a great weekend and a great weekend, Bobby, to get away from our three young kids. Shout, uh, nod to my loving wife for watching those kids while I was gone. So anyway, that's, that's my inspiration. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got to make sure you and Scoob hang out. Let's my do brother. it. He's a West yeah, Sider. Yeah, make sure that happens. Uh, what do you um, have, Bobby? This inspiring thing is it happened last Sunday. It's a long story here, but um, I'm a big running fanatic. And uh, the London Marathon was last week. And there's a lady that pre this marathon was in the debate as one of the goats of women distance running. She's Dutch by way of Ethiopia. Her name is Safan Hassan. Uh, she won three medals at the Tokyo Olympics. So she's really good. And uh, she... I was watching her pre-race um, interview and I was dying. I was crying. It was so touching. So she's never ran a marathon before and she's really great. Like she's awesome. And she showed so much vulnerability in the interview. She's like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Why did I sign up for a marathon? I mean, this is Safana's on. She's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I talked to my manager. I've been waking up having nightmares going, Safan, what are you doing? I mean, someone has to look at these interviews. They're hilarious. And she's Muslim. So Ramadan just finished last Wednesday. So this lady did her marathon prep with one month of it, ending the week before the marathon in Ramadan. And she talks about doing a 41K training run with no water afterwards. And she goes, I don't know why I'm here. And it was like, she was so nervous. And so I made my wife listen to it. It was just so touching. And then the next morning was the marathon and it's eight hours ahead. So when I woke up, I went straight to the news feed and she had won. <gasps> and Unbelievable. To, see, to see her interview was even more funny than the interview before. And they showed clips that she was like throwing up, like this, she's a great runner. So for any of us that get nervous, she was throwing up at the start. Uh, 15K in, nine miles in, she stops because she has a leg pain, starts stretching the field. And by the way, they said it was the most competitive women's field ever. The field rolls up the road without her. She catches up to him and she looked like a, a grade school kid on the schoolyard. She looks so happy when she caught up to him. She misses her water bottle. She's like running around to get her water bottle like a spaz. It was hilarious. And then wins the thing. <laughs> wow. And her interview was so cute. She's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Did this happen? Can someone tell? I mean, it was just like 
such humility from one of the greatest people in their discipline in the world. Mm. Hope all of us can have that same raw vulnerability and humility at the same time if we're trying to be great. I can't wait to yeah, look it up. That, what I'm, a I'm great story. Hassan. Oh my I mean, gosh. Her her coach is hilarious. He's a guy from Utah named Tim Roberry, and he like puts on she he he will like show a video of her freaking out before the race. It's hilarious, and it, it's really touching. I'm going right to YouTube after this is off. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. after we're done. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, we've had a blast. We talked to you forever, but we rented this space for for an hour, and we've got to go. Um, I will say this: this is it. That's it. Episode 100 wow. is in the books. What an honor. Thank yeah. you, Bobby. Some other time we'll talk about, yeah, amazing guest. Perfect guest for episode 100. Bobby, do you have anything that you want to uh, rep before we go? Instagram, the new things you're working on, books? I just want everyone out there who's listening. The only thing I want to rep is how great our industry is. It's a great industry. And let's all give everyone a big bear hug and have a great Friday night. I love it. Well, listen, you can find our Instagram at the long finish. We will post a picture of this bottle of wine. Um, we'll post some clips from the uh, interview today. I think it's going to be a fantastic uh, episode that we'll cut together. Um, but that's it. Absolutely. And we'll get this wine at Esther's as soon as we can. So, okay. yeah, thank Thanks you so much. Thank you, everyone out there. Stay tuned for new episodes we got coming out. But we can't beat Bobby Stuckey, episode 100, the punk rocking, blue hair running, Master Samier. Uh Thank you, Bobby, for being a part of the show. Thank you. I'm going to go to pre-service. All right. Ciao. Bye, Bobby. Yeah. Ciao. All right. Thank you so much to Bobby Stuckey for taking the time before pre-service at his restaurant to come and talk to us. And we had a great time, Catherine, right? That was a total blast. I've wanted to do that for years. And it was so generous of Bobby to take that time and Oh, I have a lot of questions for the next one. So if you're in Boulder, go to one of, or in Denver, go to one of his many restaurants. We'll post them in the show notes. If you have a chance to find some Scarpetta wine, go ahead and drink that. And if you have a chance to go to his Instagram, we'll post that as well. He's a great Instagram. He's always so, he's so active. I mean, not, not only from like an exercise standpoint, but just in life. The guy is very busy. So check him out. We're busy finishing episode 100 of The Long Finish. That's it. That's episode 100. Episode 100 is in the books. Thank you to every single one of you who has listened to one episode, every episode of our show. It means a lot. If you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to our show, now that we've reached 100 episodes, it would mean the world to us. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Weil Coker on Instagram. You can find The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Check out our YouTube page for this interview with Bobby Stuckey. We're on, we're on tape. So please take time to do that. And we'll be back soon with more episodes of The Long Finish. We've made 100. Let's go get 200. And thanks for being a part of this journey. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.